Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 95 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question is, should the church be a one-man show? So happy Thursday, friends. It's day 16, I think, of shelter in place here in sunny and windy central California. We have not, in our family at least, resorted to cannibalism yet. We have resorted, however, to all sorts of pranks, uh, especially today, including my daughters last night around 1 in the morning, pretending to be burglars, breaking in, and filming me coming outside with a machete to see what was going on. That was fun. We also had every picture in our house today covered up with Shrek faces, and I'm talking about, uh, gosh, 200 Shrek faces, so a lot. And my monitor was covered with pictures of Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. So that is something interesting. I wonder how your day was. I want to give a shout out to my brother or sister in Harare, Zimbabwe, yesterday, who downloaded a bunch of episodes of the show. Uh, God bless you, brother or sister. I hope things are going well for you guys in Zimbabwe. Today was actually one of the best days ever for the show. Uh, There was over 400 downloads in one day, which is, I think, is awfully nice of you people. I'm glad you're listening and that we're hearing the Word of God together. Shout out also to KRF78 for her or his most encouraging iTunes Apple Podcasts review. And they said, excellent podcast for daily Bible study. I love this podcast. I love the combination of a reading plan with a daily study of pertinent Bible study questions. Highly recommended. Well, KRF78, you are also highly recommended. Thank you for that very encouraging review. And folks, I would ask you to check out our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, and leave a review on Apple iTunes, uh, or share us on social media. Share us with your friends. Share the show with your friends and get more people reading along with the Bible. Speaking of reading the Bible, today's Bible passages are Leviticus 5, Psalms 3 and 4, Proverbs 20, and Colossians 3. My son asked me earlier today why we went from the Gospel of John to the Psalms, and the answer is, I don't know. We are following Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan that he developed way back in the 1800s. It allows us to read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in a year. So that's kind of cool, and I guess he had a rhyme or reason for going from John to Psalms, but if he knew it, I don't know it. Um. Our focus passage today is derived from Colossians chapter 3 and is yet again focused more on one verse than the whole passage. So Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's a great encouragement. So let's go read Colossians 3, and then we're going to call, come back and talk about whether or not the church should be a one-man show, or whether or not the church is too pastor-centric. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Pause here. 
I'll say that this passage really goes along well with what we've been talking about lately in terms of repentance. Verse 6, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven, says Colossians 4.1, and that should be read right there. And do keep in mind, when the Bible uses the word doulos, some translations translate it as slave, some as bondservant, kind of slavery spoken of in the Bible in the New Testament is not the same as the racial-based brutality that was in the American colonies and the American states and in parts of Europe and the West, that it was race-based and brutal and horrible. This was not necessarily defending it, but what Paul was talking about here was more of a bond-servant situation than a slavery situation in the way we think about it. So, putting that aside, today we're we're going to talk about how the body of Christ, the church, was set up in the New Testament. Before you do, or we do, I need to remind you that I am the pastor of a church, and I'd love for you to come visit sometime, uh, but you can't right now because we're not able to meet together. But you can visit us online at facebook.com slash Salinas. If you like the page, you'll get notifications for when we go live. Uh, anyway, like I said, I'm pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. I like pastors. Some of my best friends are pastors. Some of my spiritual heroes are pastors. So keep that in mind when I say this. Far too often, the modern Western church is way, way too pastor-centric. 
when you compare it to the way church is described in the Bible. I present the above passage, Colossians 3.16, as Exhibit 1. For Exhibit 2, I invite you to go and search for how many times the word pastor shows up in the Bible. Go ahead. I'll wait. I'm just kidding. I've already done it for you. The word pastor appears exactly once in the entire Christian Standard Bible translation and the New International Version translation, and a whopping zero times in the ESV, or the English Standard Version. Now, it does appear nine times in the King James Version, but eight of those times are in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and they're not referring to church pastors at all because that book was written literally hundreds of years before the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. So what gives? Are pastors illegit? Well, no, I don't think so. If you search for shepherd and elder in the Bible, you will actually find quite a bit more hits, and I believe both of those words are synonymous with pastor when used in the context of people. You will find that Paul appointed elders, plural elders, in every church, So they were definitely important, especially those who focused on preaching and teaching, as we see in 1 Timothy 5.17. Even then, however, you do not get the idea from the New Testament that the church was very pastor-centric. Instead, it was very Jesus-centric and very member-centric. Let's look at some passages. 1 Peter 4.10 and 11 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. You kind of get the sense there in 1 Peter 4, when he says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others, that he's talking about more than just a couple of people or one person in the church, but pretty much everybody. 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11 A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person, like every saved Christian, for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One in the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So that sounds like several people being gifted for the work of ministry, not just one. In fact, Ephesians 4.11 does say that God has given this certain group of giftings to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, what's their role? Their role is to equip the body of Christ for ministry. So I think Ephesians 4 tells us that the way the church is structured is that some of those people with gifts like apostle, prophet, pastor, uh, teacher, evangelist, their role is to equip everybody to minister so that everybody is ministering. 1 Corinthians 14, 26-33 says, What then, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, they are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, 
and the other should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be a silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet's, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So putting aside the debate about whether or not some of the gifts mentioned above ceased, I I don't believe they did. But no matter what your view of the gifts are, I'm sure you can see in the passages we just read that the early church was anything but a one-man show. It was a body of Christ show that pointed everybody to the head of the body of Christ Jesus. In other words, everybody was ministering to everybody and everybody was being built up and encouraged in Jesus. Lack of proper biblical emphasis on the topic of the gifts of the Spirit, I think, leads to an immature and stunted body of Christ that ends up depending on the gifts of, I don't know, three to five to ten or twenty, if it's a bigger church, just a handful of important people while everybody else is along for the ride. They're in the back seat. They're watching. They're not participating. They're spectators. Think of the arm wrestler who lifts every day uh, on his right arm, but the rest of his body is atrophied. A church is like that when only three or four or a small percentage of people are evidently serving and using their gifts. That means that that church is a freak show, not the body of Christ. Everybody in the New Testament church is called to use their gifts for the building up of others. Everybody plays ball. Everybody participates. Everybody gets the joy of being in ministry. When that happens, the church grows into maturity and fruitfulness, not because there's a great pastor who has a lot of gifting and people want to come hear him, or not because the music is incredible, but because everybody is using the gifts from God that have been given to them for building up everybody else. So friends, you have a spiritual gift if you're a Christian. You're empowered to minister to people and build up the church. Colossians 3.16 gives us this amazing picture of the whole church lively and active and ministering to each other in all of these various ways. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12.7. It says, A demonstration of the Spirit or a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. That word there, beneficial, interesting word, especially in the context of Colossians 3.16, when we're sort of talking musically, the word there is sympharo. It's very much related to our word symphony. It means better for everybody. Beneficial in that context means better for anybody. So you sort of see this symphony of people in the body of Christ ministering to each other and to the lost to produce what is better for everybody. So think about it like this. In a church without the gift of exhortation, there'd be people in the body of Christ who feel crushingly alone. They'll despair, suffering far more than they should and being weakened by it. An exhorter walks beside those who are suffering. They fights together with them. They say, to people that are down. Hey, get off the mat. Get up, get up, get up. That's what an exhorter does. They're they're called alongside somebody for support without the gift of giving. Many of us would suffer remarkable financial hardships. I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about people. 
because God, through the gift of giving, provides money through his people at just the right time to fuel the ministries of the church, to provide for the needs of widows and orphans, and just people in general who are struggling greatly. My father-in-law has this gift of giving, and he's the most generous man I've ever met. And I can't tell you how many times it has been such a rich blessing to us and other people I've known. Without the gift of leadership, there would be little cohesive togetherness in the church. Some projects simply cannot be done by one or two people. Leaders are needed in those kind of situations. Everybody would go their own way, but a gifted leader, not one who leads by power, bullying, or strength, is a delight to follow and rally around. A gifted leader doesn't diminish who you are or your calling in any way, but it enhances it. Without the gift of mercy... Those who are suffering would rarely truly be comforted. The truly wounded, the abused, the hurt, they would do so in silence. And they would ultimately come to believe that the church is unloving or even God himself is unloving. But the thing is, people with the gift of mercy, they trumpet the love of God and the love of his people to those who need to hear it most. They weep with those who weep. And my goodness, we need that. When you're suffering, your ability to hear and perceive love is smashed, and it takes loud examples of love shown consistently over time to make you realize you are loved. That's the gift of mercy operating. Without the gift of service, there would be so many important things in the church undone when we gather. Diapers wouldn't be changed in the nursery. Trash wouldn't be picked up. Coffee wouldn't be made. People wouldn't be helped when they have their hands full. This gift almost is a cheating kind of gift, as we've mentioned before, because Jesus himself said that the key to greatness is serving. Some of you out there have the spiritual gift of serving, and that sort of gives you like this uh, fast track to being eternally great in the kingdom of God. So how cool is that? Without the gift of faith. Probably several of us would have quit gathering together with other believers. Honestly, many people wouldn't have been healed or prayed for. In a church group, the gift of faith enhances every ministry, every outreach, every prayer offered, every attempt by the church to reach the lost. When the odds look terrible and people want to quit or not even try, the gift of faith sees the majesty and power of God and says, Behold the Lamb! So rise up, gifted members of the church, and embrace your role and calling, even if you are right now sheltering in place. Let your light shine, the light of Jesus in you, shine before men so that they will see Jesus and glorify God the Father. And remember, the church is not a one-man show. The church is a body of Christ show with Jesus as the head. So let's read Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. When someone sins in any of these ways, if he has seen, heard, or known about something he has witnessed and did not respond to a public call to testify, he will bear his iniquity. Or if someone touches some anything unclean, a carcass of an unclean wild animal or unclean livestock or an unclean swarming creature, without being aware of it, he is unclean and incurs guilt. Or if he touches human uncleanness, any uncleanness by which one can become defiled without being aware of it, but later recognizes it, he incurs guilt. Or if someone swears rashly to do what is good or evil concerning anything, a person may speak rashly in an oath without being aware of it, but later recognizes it, 
he incurs guilt in such an instance. If someone incurs guilt in one of these cases, he is to confess he has committed that sin. He must bring his penalty for guilt for the sin he has committed to the Lord, a female lamb or a goat from the flock, as a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf for his sin. But if he cannot afford an animal from his flock, then he may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as penalty for guilt for his sin. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. He is to bring them to the priest who will first present the one for the sin offering. He is to twist its head at the back of the neck without severing it. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood is to be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. He will prepare the second bird as a burnt offering according to the regulation. In this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two young pigeons, he may bring two quarts of fine flour as an offering for his sin. He must not put olive oil or frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. He is to bring it to the priest who will take a handful from it as its memorial portion and burn it on the altar along with the fire offerings to the Lord. It is a sin offering. In the same way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf concerning the sin he has committed in any of these cases, and he will be forgiven. The rest will belong to the priest like the grain offering. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, If someone offends by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he must bring his penalty for guilt to the Lord, an unblemished ram from the flock, based on your assessment of its value in silver shekels according to the sanctuary shekel as a guilt offering. He is to make restitution for his sin regarding any holy thing, adding a fifth of its value to it and give it to the priest. Then the priest will make atonement on his behalf with the ram of the guilt offering, and he will be forgiven. If someone sins and without knowing it violates any of the Lord's commands concerning anything prohibited, he is guilty and he will bear his iniquity. He must bring an unblemished ram from the flock according to your assessment of its value as a gift offering to the priest. Then the priest will make atonement on his behalf for the error he has committed unintentionally and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He is indeed guilty before the Lord. Psalm 3 Lord, how my foes increased. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory in the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Psalm chapter 4, a night prayer. Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him, Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Selah. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, Who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when they have 
their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1. Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever goes astray because of them is not wise. A king's terrible wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Anyone who provokes him endangers himself. Honor belongs to the person who ends a dispute, but any fool can get himself into a quarrel. The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks and there's nothing. Counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. Many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? A righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. A king sitting on a throne to judge separates out all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am cleansed from my sin? Differing weights and varying measures, both are detestable to the Lord. Even a young man is known by his actions, but whether by whether his behavior is pure and upright. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made them both. Don't love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you'll have enough to eat. It's worthless, it's worthless, the buyer says. But after he is on his way, he gloats. There is gold in a multitude of jewels, but knowledgeable lips are a rare treasure. Take his garment, for he has put up security for a stranger. Get collateral if it is for foreigners. Food gained by fraud is sweet to a person, but afterward his mouth is full of gravel. Finalize plans with counsel and wage war with sound guidance. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Whoever curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained prematurely will not be blessed ultimately. Don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. Differing weights are detestable to the Lord and dishonest scales are unfair. Even a courageous person's steps are determined by the Lord, so how can anyone understand his own way? It's a trap for anyone to dedicate something rashly and later to reconsider his vows. A wise king separates out the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The Lord's lamp sheds light on a person's life, searching the innermost parts. Loyalty and faithfulness guard a king. Through loyalty, he maintains his throne. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is gray hair. Lashes and wounds purge away evil, and beatings cleanse the innermost parts. Well, amen, brothers and sisters. May it be today for us both that the Word of God will have spoken wisdom into our hearts and soul and built us up and edified us in the most holy faith. May God bless you. May he keep you safe. Godspeed.